to see it again. If you weren't here at the top of the service, we're dedicating uh, babies all weekend long here as part of Mother's Day. And let me thank you for, um, from my heart, too, for all of you. I think being the role of mother is one of the most important roles in all the world. God's designed it that way. And just thank you for all of you who are, have served us all so well. But we're going to go to our time of teaching. If we haven't met yet, my name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, hopefully you've got inside your program, uh, you've, you've taken out that uh, note sheet, that message note sheet. If you're watching online, I hope you've downloaded that from uh, whichever site you're on, uh, because we're going to definitely need it. So if we're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here this, this Mother's Day weekend and really pursuing uh, what it means to be your followers, um, what it means uh, to come under your leadership, uh, who you are, Jesus. And we pray today that you would expand our view of who you are, that we would be able to come underneath your leadership with renewed commitment and passion uh, to be transformed to be like you and to carry out your mission in our lives. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today once again in the capital. And uh, he loves this time of year. And once again, he's come this week with his family for this week of national holiday. And once again, as he walks through the city streets, they're, they're packed as usual, vendors, um, pilgrims, uh, so much going on around him. And as he's walking through the city, he, he hears a crowd in the distance, and he begins to explore and check it out. And as he gets closer, his, his heart begins to beat faster because it's him, it's this, this young, young leader that he's heard so much about. This young leader who's kind of turning the city upside down. Everyone seems to have an opinion for or against. It's the first time he's heard it. And so he, he starts at the back of the crowd. He's kind of standing on his tiptoes trying to get a good look. To listen in, to hear what he's saying. And as he stands there and locks in, he can feel it. He can feel it in the crowd. He can feel the excitement. He can sense the anticipation. But he can also sense the growing tension. And the longer he listens, the more he understands. Because no question that this man has performed some amazing feats. And he understands why he'd be loved, why he'd be revered but he's also making some amazing claims. He can understand why he's become the center of controversy. And honestly, the longer he listens, he doesn't know what to think. He's not sure which side he comes down on. One thing he knows is if, if this young man doesn't chart a different course in the near future, things could become very dangerous for him very quickly. Well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in the last several months. It's called Signs, A Path to Life. And uh, for those of you who are brand new, uh, whether you're here with us on campus or you're, you're online, uh, this is a series about Jesus. It's about his life, his teaching, it's sort of an in-depth look at the life of Jesus as seen through the eyes of one of his closest followers and friends, a man named John 
Uh, we call him the Apostle John, who really at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, he writes his own biography of the life of Jesus based on his personal experiences, but special focus on seven supernatural signs that Jesus performed over the course of the two or three years, seven of the many, that he, he believes really help us understand who Jesus is and why he came and chart for each of us the path to life. And so if you were here last week, we watched as Jesus is still early in his ministry. Jesus uh, traveled from the north of the country, where his homeland, from the Galilee. He, he traveled south to the, the capital, the spiritual capital of the nation, to the city of Jerusalem during one of their national week-long festivals. We're not sure which one. John normally tells us, but he doesn't. And while he was there uh, that week, he went to a famous site for healing called the Pools of Bethesda, and he healed the man that was, uh, had been lame for 38 years. And so this is the third of, of seven big signs that John wants to focus on. Uh, and this sign, the supernatural sign, though it's amazing, brings him into some serious conflict for the first time in the Gospel of John with the religious leaders of the nation because he healed this man on the Sabbath. And in their eyes, that was a violation of God's law of Moses, do not work on the Sabbath. And when they finally caught up with him and challenged him on this, instead of apologizing, he made matters worse by claiming that God was his own father and that his father works on the Sabbath. He doesn't take the day off. And so that he works on the Sabbath as well, making himself equal with God. And so that's where we left off last week. And what I want to do today is pick up where we left off. And Jesus is going to take this conflict to a whole new level today by making a couple what I'm calling cosmic claims. Claims about himself to be able to do and to be, have the authority to do certain things that clearly only God has the authority to do. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, we're going to open up, turn on. There in your note sheet is a section called Signs the Conflict. And you'll notice there, there are several passages of Scripture that I'll be weaving into this uh, passage of John chapter 5. So John chapter 5, just to set it up, we're going to go back to verse 16, where we kind of near where we left off last week. And so in John uh, 5, 16, it says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, like healing on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, uh, Jesus said to them, well, you know, my father is always working this very day. He doesn't take weekends off. He still runs the universe on Saturdays. And so my father is always at work this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but now he's calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus doesn't back off of that accusation. He says in verse 18, Verse 19, rather, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, and remember, when we see that word, very truly, in the New International Version of uh, John, what does that mean? Amen, amen. amen. It's, it's Jesus' way of putting like neon signs about what I'm about to say is extremely important. So in, in the Greek, you'd say truly, truly, but it's sort of a, a way of heightening about what he's about to say. 
And so he says um, in verse 19, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. You think that I healed this man that was just on the Sabbath, that was my idea? He says he could only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Like a, a father in a shop showing his son who's apprenticing how to do this. And so for the father, he loves his son and he shows him all he does. In fact, he will show him even greater works than these that you'll be amazed, right? So he's, and so now we're, we're ready for new material now. And uh, he, Jesus is going to go on and he's going to talk about a couple of things that the father has turned over to the son to do, things that are uniquely things only God can do. And so he's going to take this claim and he's going to raise it to a whole new level by illustrating the power and authority the father has entrusted to him as the son. And so the first example is, uh, is that the son is going to have the power of life and death. He has, a pow- he has a power to create life. And so he says, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whomever he pleases. So I want you to catch this. One of the roles of Yahweh, the God of Israel, is he is the life giver. He's the creator of the universe. He's the only one who has the power to raise the dead to give life. And yet Jesus is claiming this power that has traditionally been seen as unique domain of God. He's claiming it for himself. Now, for each of these claims, I'm going to reach back into the Old Testament, and I'm going to give you just an example of this role that God will fulfill that Jesus is claiming for himself. Because as Jewish people who knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand, this would be the sort of thing running through their mind as Jesus makes these claims. And so there in your note sheet, I put a verse from Isaiah 42. And so it says, this is what God the Lord, remember Lord all caps means what? Yahweh. This is what, what God the, the Lord Yahweh says. And then look how, this is how Isaiah describes Yahweh. He's the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out earth with all that springs from it, all the plants, all the, the, the life that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and what? And life to those who walk on it. This is who Yahweh is. He's the creator God. He's the God who stretches out the heavens. He's the God who brings forth life from the earth. He's the God who speaks life into the human race and draws us out. This is who Yahweh is. And yet now Jesus is claiming that even as the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself. He's, crea- he's claiming to do things that only God can do. Let's move on. Now Jesus is going to claim a second, what I'm calling this uh, cosmic, uh, you know, this cosmic ability. He says uh, in verse 22, moreover, the Father judges no one. So in the Old Testament, uh, God is always presented as the judge of all the earth. At the end of our lives, every one of us stands before God. For example, there in your note sheet, uh, you may remember this when, when the Lord came to Abraham and he said, I'm going down to check out Sodom and Gomorrah and to see if the reports I'm hearing from there are accurate. And if so, I'm going to bring judgment. 
And Abraham said, but what happens if there are some righteous people there? That wouldn't be fair, right? And so what he says in, in uh, what, um, what Abraham says to the Lord in Genesis 18, 25, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? This is typical of Yahweh teaching in the Old Testament. There is one God. He is the one who gives life. He is the one to whom we all report. We will all stand before him. There is one judge over all the earth. And yet Jesus is now going to claim that the Father has delegated that judgment to him. So let's see what he says. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son gives life to whom he's pleased. And moreover, the father judges no one, but he's entrusted all judgment to the son. Jesus is claiming that this role that's always been Yahweh's role has been delegated to him, that at the end of our lives, that every human being who's ever lived will stand before Jesus himself to be evaluated. That's quite the claim. And he says, and the reason, catch this, the reason that the Father has given the Son the power to give life, and the reason he's entrusted all judgment to the Son, he says, is so that everyone will honor the Son in the same way they honor the Father. Now catch this, this is huge because Yahweh shares his glory with no one. The God of Israel time and time again says, I, I am unique, I share my glory, my honor with no one. In fact, there in your note sheet, Isaiah 42, eight, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, this is, that is my name, I will not yield my glory to another. And yet Jesus is saying that the Father has given the Son the power to have life. He has the power to, he's been entrusted with the authority to judge the entire human race so that everyone will honor the the Son as he's honored the Father. And so he says, verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And then catch the implications. He says, what this means is that whoever doesn't honor me is not honoring the one who sent me. Your life is on the line. Your relationship with the God of Israel is determined by how you relate to the Son. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, he's going to go on. And he is going to talk a little bit more about these two uh, kind of cosmic uh, capacities that he has. Uh, He's going to talk more about the life-giving part and more about the judging part. So let's see what he says. So he says, very truly, which means what? Amen, Amen, amen. Don't miss it. Whoever hears my word, what I'm teaching, and believes him who sent me. We are a package deal, right? We're a package deal has eternal life. Now, now if, if you underline in your Bible, it'd be a good place to underline <laughs> that word has. I want you to notice the tense. He does not say will have. He says he has it. It's the moment a person 
comes to believe Jesus is who he claims to be and gives him a life, that that moment something happens at the core of their being and they receive this new life of God, this eternal life that remembers, it's not just about length of life, it's about quality of life, it's the life of God. He says, uh, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and catches will not be judged. So at the end of time, at the final judgment, he says he will not be judged in the sense of condemned, he'll not be condemned, but has crossed over here and now from death to life. He's the moment that someone comes to faith in me, something happens to them. That I give them this new life, it transforms them. Remember, he's, he's talked about you have to be born again. Remember, he's talked about this water of life that springs, becomes a well that springs up eternal life. So he, he's just being straightforward that when you believe in me, this, I'm gonna give you this new life. And at that moment, you've passed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. So when the end of your life comes, you don't have to wonder about what's going to happen to you. You've already crossed over here and now. And then he goes on. He says, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and is now come. In other words, with his coming, it started. It won't be finished until his death, his resurrection, the coming of the Spirit will be fully in this new age. But he says, the time is coming and is now come when the dead, and he's talking here about spiritual dead, we'll, talk, we'll see that in a minute, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will what? Yeah. Remember, my sheep hear my voice. And when they hear, when they hear my voice, I will give them life. I will, I will communicate life to them. And he says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. He's the life giver. And he's given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man, which was Jesus' favorite term for himself. And now he's gonna jump to the future, and he says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all, catch that all, <laughs> underline, who are in their graves... He's talking about physical graves. All who in their graves will hear his voice and they will come out and those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to condemn. Jesus says there's coming a time in the future uh, at the resurrection of the dead. And so most Jews believe at the end of time there'll be a resurrection from the dead. And he says that when that time comes, the resurrection is not just an event on some sort of end times uh, time, timeline that's gonna happen at some point inevitable. What Jesus is saying is it will happen when I say the word. Later on in John chapter 11, he will put it like this, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. The resurrection happens when I say it happens. Again, amazing claim, cosmic claim. At the end of time, when I say so, the human race is coming alive and then I will be the judge of every single person who's ever lived. Are you with me? These are cosmic claims. Notice what he says too. He says, they'll come out in verse 29, those who have done what is what? Good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil 
will rise to be condemned. Now, this is interesting. You're like, wait a second. Didn't you just say that if you believe that we pass through judgment, we won't be condemned? And now you're saying that, that at the end of time when you call that those who have done good will enter into, so which is it? We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. No, just kidding, just kidding. Today. And now he's going to return where he started this conversation, or back in the middle, back in, you know, verse 19. He's going to circle around. He says, hey, by myself I can do nothing. He said, I know these are huge claims, but I want you to know I'm not taking them to myself. This is what I've been assigned to do. This is what I'm called to do. This is the message I'm called to bring. This is not an ego thing. He said, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. Remember, listen and follow. He said, I judge as I hear. And my judgment is just, it's right. And here's the reason. What did we see about Jesus last week? For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Do you see, remember last week? We, the passion of Jesus' life was to know, to love, to please his father, his top passion. I asked you, what's your top passion? I said, we'll see it all through John. Here we're seeing it again. He said, the reason I'm saying what I'm saying is not because I'm making huge claims for myself. I'm delivering what I've heard the father tell me to say because the only passion of my life, I don't care what you all think, the passion of my life is to please my father. Right? Now, well, here's what I wanna do in the time that we have together today. I wanna take some time and just kind of quickly unpack these two cosmic claims that Jesus is making. I want to put neon lights around them. I want to bring a little bit of background to them. And then once we've done that, we're clear on what he's claiming. I have two questions for you. How does this fit with our life and what it means to be a follower of Jesus? So there on your note sheet, you have a section called Signs the Cosmic Claims. And so here we go. The first claim that Jesus makes, no surprise here, is that Jesus is the life giver. Jesus is claiming, we saw it time and time again, that the Father has life in himself, so the Son has life in himself. Now, this claim is really interesting because throughout this series, I told you this over and over at the beginning that we started off the first three weeks on this opening intro to John's gospel. And I told you that in the intro, John is telling us where the story's going. He's giving us a big picture overview, like, a, like an attorney making an opening argument. And we're going to see it over and over again. And, today, and I, I, remember, I, want, I, I don't know if you remember how John started the, his intro, but I put it there on your note sheet. Remember, this is how the Gospel of John starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was right, right there. And then look what he says, through him all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made, and in him was what? Life, life and that life was the light of mankind. From the very beginning, John has introduced Jesus as the life giver, the source of all life. And the question, of course, is, well, where did he get that idea? And today, we're seeing it. We're seeing that 
He was just sharing with us what he learned from Jesus, these claims that Jesus made about himself. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus in this passage is going to talk about two kinds of life. He's going to talk about internal, spiritual life, the life of God, and he's going to talk about physical life at the end of time. So let's take a look at this. There in your note sheet, I put this verse again, 524, where he talks about spiritual life. Very truly, I tell you that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal what? Life. Has eternal life. And so, so here he's talking, he's not talking about physical life, he's talking about spiritual life. That as a race, we're born spiritually dead. And Jesus has come to give us back our life. And remember, he's talked about this over and over to Nicodemus in chapter 3. He said, Nicodemus, to be part of the kingdom, you have to be born again. Something has to happen. New life from above has to enter in. In John chapter 4, remember, he talked to the woman at the well. And he offered this, this rivers of living water that would become an everlasting spring of eternal, well up to eternal life. In John chapter six, when get he's gonna talk about the bread of life. In John chapter eight, he's gonna talk about the light of life. But here, Jesus dispenses with all metaphors. He dispenses with all word pictures. And he says, the human race, you're born in a state of spiritual death, and I've come, and when a person realizes who I am and follows me, something happens at the core of their being, I give them my life. So he talks about spiritual life, but he also talks about physical life. Because he says, at the end of time, when he speaks the word, the entire human race will be resurrected again. And look what he says, John 25, 28, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves, everyone will hear his voice and come out. Like we'll see later in chapter 11, sort of a preview of coming attractions, when he speaks to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. See, it's a picture of what will happen at the end, a parable, almost like an enacted parable. Come out. And so, Jesus is the life giver. He's the creator. That's the claim he's making. Okay? Second claim he's making is that Jesus is the judge. This is the second cosmic claim. We saw it. Again, there in 524, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word, believes in who sent me as eternal life will not be judged, but he'll come back. Well, no, we saw it earlier. We talked about, he said that whenever they hear my voice, the dead will come out, right? And he said, but when he said, he said, they'll come out to be judged, now, this is interesting because I pointed this out when we were going through. I raised this question that on the surface, Jesus says two things that on the surface seem contradictory or paradoxical. Because first he says that, that when a person comes to faith in Jesus, that they cross over from death to life. Remember we saw that? 
and that they will not be judged. They will not be condemned at the end of time. They, they've crossed over. But then later on, he says, as we saw, that, that when he speaks the word, that the race will be resurrected, and those who have done good will be come out to life, and those who have done, so which is it? Which is it? Is it, is it our believing that leads to life, or is it our doing that leads to life? And what's interesting is that you see this tension throughout the New Testament. You see it time and time again. I mean, there's certain passages that are super clear that our relationship with God is not based on our performance. I think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We've been saved by faith through grace, not, not by works, lest anyone should boast. It's super clear. And yet, time and time again, I don't know if you've noticed this, but time and time again, when, it, when the Bible, when the New Testament talks about the final judgment, it describes that judgment in terms of our works, in terms of our life, almost uniformly. We'll, we'll take an example later on. So which is it? Will we receive eternal life as a result of our faith in Jesus? Or will we receive it because we do a life of good? And it, I think this, this uh, what well, looks like an apparent contradiction or a paradox is in a sense more apparent than real. Because the reality is, is what Jesus is saying is that when someone comes to him and truly trusts in him, something happens to that person at their core. That something is changed. To use Jesus' language, they're born again. Something happens. They receive this DNA of God that leads them to live a new life. And so Jesus can say that he who believes in me will not be condemned. Or he can say that those who do good will not be condemned. Because they're sort of the flip side of the same coin. So what I want you to catch is that Jesus is making these two cosmic claims. The first claim is to be the life giver, the source of all life. The second one is he's the judge before whom we will all stand and be judged. And that our eternal destiny will be determined by our relationship with the Son. Now, that leads to a couple powerful questions. <laughs> there in your note sheet, there's a section called Signs, Two Key Questions. So let's start with this one. Number one, no show of hands. <laughs> this is a reflection question. It's not a knee-jerk answer question. Do you believe in Jesus? We've watched as Jesus has made two incredibly 
cosmic claims. To be a life giver, to be the judge. And the question is, what do you believe? You know, we started the day with a story of this man who's traveled to, to the capital, which is, is Jerusalem. And uh, he looks forward to this week every year. You know, it's, it's a great time, family and friends, but the city is packed as usual. And he's walking along one day, he sees this crowd, and as he approaches, he begins to hear the voice of this young teacher, and he's excited because he he, he's wanted to hear him, and he hasn't personally seen him yet. He stands on tiptoes. Well, this is my version of the story of John 5, of one man in the crowd who stumbles upon Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about this amazing miracle that seems uncontested. No one, even the religious leaders, are questioning the authenticity of this healing of this man who's been for 38 years. And so he can sense the excitement, the anticipation, the crowd. Because on the one hand, this man must be sent from God, right? I mean, who could do this if God were not with him? And yet on the other hand, he's teaching new things about the Sabbath that seem to be kind of contradicting what what the teachers have taught him his whole life. And on top of that, as he listens in, he's making these incredible claims that almost sound blasphemous. To be the judge of all the earth, to have life in himself, to be able to raise the dead at the end of time, everyone will stand between him. And he's caught. He's not sure what he believes. We're going to see this all the way through the Gospel of John. We're going to see this kind of conversation. We'll see it in chapter 7. We'll see it in chapter 8. We'll see it in chapter 10. We'll see it over and over and over. The crowds are not really sure what to do with Jesus. Some are saying, how could a, how could a man not be from God who's doing what he's doing? And others are saying, yeah, but. And the crowd is going to be divided. And so, the claims of Jesus were incredibly controversial in his day. They got him crucified. These claims, and others like it, are going to end in his death. They're controversial then, but they're controversial now. If you step outside the walls of this church or your home, and you start making these claims about Jesus, these are controversial claims. Like in here, they might feel like, yeah, this is just we know Jesus. You step out into the world and you make these claims. They're controversial claims. And so the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? And I think we have to ask this at a couple different levels. We have to ask it first at the level of the non-believer, Like maybe you're here at Rocky Peak today, maybe you're out on the patio, maybe you're watching at home, and you're being confronted with these claims of Jesus, and up to this point, you would not describe yourself as a follower of Jesus. You're interested in Jesus, you respect Jesus, you've been enjoying this series about Jesus, there's a lot about Jesus you like, it intrigues you, but up to this point, if someone asked you, are you a follower of Jesus, you would say no. And here's Jesus claiming today that it's your relationship with Jesus that will determine your eternal destiny. 
He's claiming that when you come to believe in him at that moment, you will cross the line between spiritual life and spiritual death, that something will happen to you, it will change you at the core of your being, and that when the judgment comes, you will not be condemned because of this transformation that takes place in your life, your life will be different. And the question is, do you believe him? My hunch is that for some of us, this is the day we cross over that line. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And my guess is some people here, some people online, that you're hearing this and you can hear the truth of what is being said. That there's an intuitive witness that lines up inside of you. It all makes sense. And you're ready to follow Jesus. And if that's you, I'm going to give you that chance later in this service today. But I think we also have to ask this question for those of us who are believers in Jesus. This is a big Jesus. Let me ask you, how big is your Jesus? What do you really believe in your Jesus? Do you believe he's the creator God? Do you believe he's the creator of every molecule that moves? Do you think he understands nanotechnology? Do you think he understands world economy? Do you think he understands the DNA strand of the COVID virus? Do you believe that Jesus is the smartest person in the world? Do you, do you believe at the end of time when he says it, when he says so, we will all come to life and that we'll each stand before him, that we will each go before him one-on-one -on -one to be judged for eternity by what we've done, whether it's good or whether it's evil for the future of our life. Do you believe that? Yes, and the question is, if you believe it, does your life show it? And that's the second question I want to ask you. Does your life show it? Because I'm not interested in what you say you believe. I'm not interested in what I say I believe. I'm interested in what do we really believe. And the only way you know what someone believes is by what they do. Amen. Not by what they say, but what they do. And Jesus says, hey, when someone comes to me, they cross over a, a line from death to life and something happens. They're born again. They drink of my spirit. They eat of the bread of life and something begins happening and they're changed and they start growing and they're transformed. So you can tell if a person's been born again by whether they're living a life of doing good. We looked at this earlier in the series, but in 1 John, John says, hey, there's three signs whether someone's been born again. One is, are they clear in who Jesus is? And they, they believe in Jesus. Number two, they live a life of love. And number three, they live a life of moral righteousness. They don't claim to be walking in the light and walking in darkness. He says that if anyone claims to know God, but doesn't do what he says, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. 
You know, I mentioned earlier that in the New Testament, there are all these passages about the, the coming final judgment. And to the best of my knowledge, there's not one that says that the final judgment will be asked what we believe. To the best of my knowledge, every single one says we judged on the basis of what we've done. There by note, she's one of the favorites. And this has been such a challenge to me the last couple years. It's a verse I've memorized. It's a verse I meditate on often. It's a verse I pray. I pray over my own life. I pray over my wife. I pray it over my daughters, their son, my son-in-laws. I pray it over my grandchildren. I pray it over this church. Paul, writing to believers, says in Corinth, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Brothers and sisters. His brothers says, hey, we must all appear so that each of us, every single one, may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. What do you believe about Jesus and does your life show it? Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you as a church, whether we're, as your church, whether we're online, outside, we're inside, we come before you this weekend as a church and Lord, we've heard your voice today. You've been super clear about who you are and why you've come to rescue us from death, to give us a new life. And, and on top of that, you've told us that the path to life that you've come to bring, you've told us the way that we'll be evaluated. And so, Lord, we come before you as your people and we just ask that during this time, this time of worship, you be speaking to us be calling us by name, be affirming and confirming, you be challenging, you be rebuking and disciplining according to our need, that whatever we need to give us life, that you would speak according to our need. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.